So that is Young Life in a nutshell, and I know that in that video they used a lot of words that started with the letter C. You heard contact work, you heard club, you heard camp, campaigners, um, and that's kind of the way we go through an outline if I were to tell you about the ministry of Young Life. And so all the things you saw on that screen, the club, the contact work, all that stuff, happens here locally and happens locally in, in, in every community uh, that has Young Life. Um, and the way Young Life is set up is I am the area director, which means that I oversee everything in West Cobb. Um, I have uh, a couple of other staff people with me. I have a full-time staff associate. I have a part-time administrator, and I have a part-time student staff who's a college student who is now working part-time with us as well. And then uh, working with us as a team of volunteers, and at different high schools, we'll have a specific team of volunteers, and that is their focus. And so we're not saying to someone who's a volunteer, hey, go reach all 15 schools in West Cobb. We're saying, hey, focus on this one school, and this is where you're going to try to get to know teenagers. And so um, that is how it's set up. Currently in West Cobb, we have ministry going at Marietta High School, Harrison High School, Kennesaw Mountain High School, and Campbell High School. Um, we have uh, some beginnings of things happening at Mount Perrin, as well as a little bit at Hillgrove and Alatoona down the road, but um, we are primarily focused right now on the four that I, I mentioned there a second ago, and we have teams of volunteers showing up doing that at those high schools. Uh, and so the amazing thing is, is what they were just talking about, chasing after kids and showing up, I mean, that's happening. Uh, just this week, watching leaders show up and pursue kids and call them and go meet with them and do whatever and getting to have conversations that are impactful uh, and have eternity in the, in the conversation. And it's an amazing thing to watch happen. Um, I got involved with Young Life in 1996 when I became a volunteer leader in college and served for a couple of years as a volunteer. And then I came on what I said a second ago, student staff, which is part-time staff while you're in college. And then in 2000, I interviewed to come on full-time Young Life staff, and uh, they moved me down to Albany, which is in South Georgia. And my wife and I served down there for six years, and then felt the Lord kind of call me out of vocational ministry full-time. And so I left Young Life, built houses with my dad for a couple of years, who was a builder here in West Cobb for 20 years or so. Uh, and then about seven years ago, felt the Lord call me back to full-time vocational ministry with Young Life. And so... Uh, they moved me here to West Cobb, which is where I'm born and raised, a true West Cobbian, so there's not that many people left in this area that you meet are true West Cobb people, but, but I am one of those. Um, so that's Young Life in a nutshell. Um, the Lord has been good to us. If, if, if I had an hour or two or three, I could fill it with stories, even just in the past two years, of what I've seen the Lord do in West Cobb as the ministry's begun to grow and take off, and just the crazy things that have happened that can only point to him and to him be the glory. Um, afterwards, I'll be out back, though. I'd love to answer any other questions and share with you anything you want to know about the ministry or we can set up a time to talk later. Um, I'll have some brochures. Uh, one other thing I did want to mention from up front here um, is one of the most exciting things we have going right now or, or in the beginning process of is something called Young Lives. And so there's, there's Young Life, which is a big umbrella, and under that umbrella we have different ministries. We have Young Life, which is the high school ministry. We have Wildlife, appropriately named for middle school ministry. Uh, we have Capernaum, which is a special needs ministry. We have Young Lives, which is ministry to teen moms and pregnant teens. And so uh, we have the beginnings of Young Lives starting up at Marietta High School. Uh, and if you're interested or if that catches something in your brain of teen moms or pregnant teens at Marietta High School, 
then definitely stop by the table and, and you can take a brochure about Young Lions and, and speak with me about that. Um, anyway, so the Lord is doing all kinds of fun things. And so thank you, Cameron, for uh, inviting me to come and speak. Uh, and as I was saying, born and raised here in West Cobb, met my wife here. Uh, we've been married nearly 15 years. Melanie's sitting over there. I have my kids with me as well, Ryder, who's 10, and Marley, who's, who's 6. And so they're sitting here. Um, and as I said, I've been with Young Life for a while now, and you know, it's crazy when you look back at your journey with Christ, um, I think we could all probably stack hands and say there's been times where we've been obedient and times where we haven't, and we look back and go, what was I thinking? Um, but the older I get and the more I grow in Christ, uh, the more I want to be obedient to what he's calling me to do, uh, and the more I really try to dig down and go, what is it that God is asking me to do or, or telling me to do a specific point? Um, and so when Cameron asked uh, several months ago for, for me to consider doing this, and I said, yes, I feel like that would be something the Lord wants me to do, I began praying through uh, what it is I would speak on. And um, selfishly, I kind of wanted to do something new. I wanted to speak on something that I haven't spoken on before, and I could that'd give me a chance to dig into something. But I felt the Lord really continuing to bring me back to the same uh, lesson that I'd actually taught about a year ago in Sunday school uh, at our church. And um, and I kept going, no, I think I want to do something different. But the Lord kept bringing me back. And so in order to be obedient to the Lord, I'm preaching about obedience this morning. Um, and so even last week, though, I began questioning it more and going, I just don't know if I want to do that. And so we bumped into each other literally last Saturday night. My wife and I were on a date with a couple other uh, couples who were on committee here in West Cobb. And uh, bumped into him, and, uh, and I said, look, man, I, I'm wanting to do this, but I just I feel like I kind of want to do something new. And he said, no, listen. Sometimes God has us teach the same things over again because it's about us learning those things or, or finding a new truth in that. And so, okay, so God has taught me some things. So here we go. Um, but uh, while, I, I'm going to explain one more thing, but if you will, turn to Hebrews 3 if you have your Bible. Hebrews 3, verse 16. Uh, you know, and it's funny, though, when you're studying one thing, uh, you know, you can go down rabbit trails and begin looking at other things. And so last year... Uh, I was actually planning on teaching about John 2 uh, in our Sunday school class, and something caught my eye and because I, in, in my ear. And because I had been studying Hebrews in my own personal study, I began to make a correlation between a couple of things. And so um, last year I kind of taught John 2 with a little touch of Hebrews, but this week I want us to really focus on the Hebrews passage. Um, so if you will stand with me, we'll read Hebrews 3, 16 through 19. It says this, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. You can sit down. Thank you. Um, so what's happening here? The author, who we're not quite sure of, is building a case to these Jewish believers uh, that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is superior. And so, so far, if you look back in the first couple of chapters of Hebrew, Hebrews, he's built a case uh, that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe, uh, that Jesus is greater than the angels, that Jesus is greater than Moses, and he's about to build a case in chapter 4 and moving forward that Jesus is greater than the priests in the Old Testament. And then from there, the book takes off like a rocket. And if you've never studied Hebrews, I encourage you to do that. Um, but before moving into 
building that next case that Jesus is greater, um, he stops here for a second and he pauses and, and wants to teach them a lesson to build his case a little bit stronger for his superiority over Moses, but also to remind them of something that happened to their ancestors. And so in verses 7 through 15, what we see is um, him basically remind the Jewish believers that, hey, this is what happened to Moses when he was leading the people and they were to enter the promised land as God instructed to them, okay? And their hearts were hardened, they didn't believe God, didn't take him on his word, and so that's what he's doing. And I'm sure most of y'all are familiar with that, but I want to recap just a little bit so that when we come back to Hebrews in a second, we'll be on the same page of what the writer is, is speaking about. So if you go back to Exodus, we see God lay out for Moses and the Israelites where they're to go. He lays out how it's supposed to go down. Um, he la- even lays out what the results are going to be if they obey him. They're going to walk into the promised land. Okay, And what are they going to get when they get there? They're going to get material blessings. There's going to be the food, the water, the vineyards, the cattle, things that they need, and God is going to provide for them. He even goes further and says, hey, guess what? Israel, you're not going to have to do a thing. You're not going to have to lift a finger, swing a sword, fire a shot. There's nothing that you have to do. You just walk in there and possess the land. That's what God says. You're going to possess the land. Um, And God tells them, "I'll, I'll even go a step further. I'm going to drive the people out slowly so that you can move in slowly so the vineyards don't become desolate, so the cattle don't die, so the buildings don't turn to rubble. And God's going to do that through natural ways. He he speaks of hornets. He's going to do it through supernatural ways. And so God is literally providing everything they need to do and telling them everything there is that they need to know to go and possess the land. And God was saying, I'm going to do all the work. All you have to do is believe and move forward in obedience. But what we see happen next is that fear and doubt begin to creep into their mind. Um, and what comes from fear and doubt is unbelief. And so they say, they come to Moses and they say, hey, let's, let's send in some spies. And we see in Deuteronomy 1, them come to Moses and do that. And they say, let's send in some spies just to kind of check out the, the travel and the people and, and really see if this is what it says it is. Um, and so whose idea was that? The people came to Moses and said that. But God said, yeah, go ahead. Send in some spies. That's fine. And so we know the story. The spies go in. They come back and they say, no, it's exactly what God said. I mean, it is, it is the milk and honey. It is exactly what God said. Um, and they even bring proof of it back and say, this is, this is fertile. God is, is, is exactly right. And all 12 spies agreed on that. But people were still afraid. And we know the story. They grumbled and they said, no, 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 we, we can't do that. And then 10 of the spies went on to say, yeah, you know, those people were, you know, kind of big. And I don't, I don't think we could really go in and do what God is saying. But we know Joshua and Caleb were saying, no, 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 we can and we should. But those 10 began to spread lies among people, spread rumors, spread not the truth. And people bought into it. Um, and they began to exchange truth for a lie. And we know that in Scripture and other, other places where we see people exchanging truths for lies, we know the end result is never good. Um, and so at that point, unbelief had set in. Israel literally had the truth set in front of them. The 12 spies even touched it, saw it, brought it back. But rather than believe the truth, they allowed unbelief to set in, and they believed the lies of 10 instead of the truth from God and two other men. There's a teacher I listen to sometimes. His name is Les Feldick. He's a cattle rancher in Oklahoma. Um, Great teacher. Um, Country, just a little bit country. 
but he is a, a, a fantastic guy to listen to. And Les says this. He says, it's the same with America today. We'd rather listen to the majority than to the truth. We'd rather listen to what seems reasonable to man, to what the majority says. And he says this, and I quote, when it comes to things of the spirit, the majority is usually wrong. Now stop and think for a minute what, what the people had seen prior to them you know, taking that next step of obedience and possessing the land. I mean, they'd seen plagues. They'd seen God deliver them out of, out of Egypt. They'd seen the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. They'd seen, um, they'd seen the Red Sea split. They'd seen water come from rock. They'd seen all these things, but yet they had trouble believing. And they stumbled into unbelief. And so with all that fresh in our minds, I want us to look back at Hebrews for a second. Um, and what we see the writer of Hebrews saying is, hey, look, if it, if it can happen to them after all that, that they saw, okay, if it can happen to them after all that they saw, then it can certainly happen to you, Jewish believers. And I would say to us, it can certainly happen to us as well, is that we can forget what we've seen, forget that we can take God on his word, and we be, begin to stumble into this unbelief. Um, I want us to look for a second at how God describes or how the writer here through the Holy Spirit describes this action of unbelief. In verse 16 it says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Um, and so we see it described as rebellion there in verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Uh, rebellion. Verse 17, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the desert. And so we see it described as sin there. And he goes on to verse 18, And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? And so we see it described as disobedience. Rebellion, sin, disobedience. And I think for God to use those words to describe this action of unbelief is no small thing. I think that he is being very intentional here saying, Look, I don't, I don't see this as a small thing. This is a big thing. Romans 14, 23 tells us that everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. And I want you to look at verse 18 again. In the King James there, uh, it says, if not to those who disobeyed. In the King James, uh, it says, uh, it, those who believed not. And the original word for disobeyed in the Greek means to refuse belief and obedience. To just absolutely refuse it. Okay, In verse 19... We see it, uh, it says, so that we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief, okay? And that unbelief stopped them from entering. And, and the Greek word for unbelief there means faithless, the complete absence of faith, okay? And so this is one of the things I find most interesting in this chapter is that the writer could have honed in and said, yeah, look at their sin they had. Look, look at the golden calf they had. Look at, look at their immorality. Look at the grumblings they had as they were coming out of Egypt and wanting to go back and questioning God and all these things. But they don't, he, the writer doesn't focus on that. The focus becomes the unbelief. And the writer moves forward through the rebellion, through the sin, through the disobedience to the thought of unbelief. But I think we can actually go backwards. I think you can start with the unbelief and say, the unbelief is what caused their disobedience. The unbelief is what caused them to fall into that sin. The unbelief is what caused them to rebel and their hearts to become hard and then to forget about what the Lord had been doing. So the focus is put on unbelief. And I think that, again, just shows and proves to us how big of a deal God thinks that is. And it all stemmed on their inability to take God on his word. Um, and my point is this. 
Faith is the foundation of obedience. Uh, we can't obey God until we believe God. And you go, well, that's, that's a pretty bold statement. But when you look at the hall of faith, okay, in Hebrews 11, what, what do we see? It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith that Noah did what he did. Why? Because he believed God. It's by faith that Abram left his country. Why? Because he believed God. It's by faith that Abraham was going to sacrifice his only son. Why? Because he believed God. Okay? And so we see the correlation there between belief and obedience. It's by faith that Rahab did what she did. It's by, and you go on down the list in Hebrews 11. It's by faith that these people were obedient and they did what they did. So we can't obey if we don't believe. And believing is a big deal. Uh, Jesus even tells us, John 6, 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so believing is no small thing. It is a big deal. And so now with a better understanding of belief and obedience going together, we can kind of understand what this writer is warning against. Hey, look, this isn't a small deal that happened to them. Obviously, <laughs> the world's never been the same since. And we need to make sure that we're not falling into that same trap of not taking God on his word when we absolutely can. Um, how much more should we believe? You know, uh, Romans 15, Paul tells us that these things, meaning scripture, is written for our learning. They're not written to entertain us. They're not written to give us a false hope. They're written for our learning, okay? And so we need to read God's word. We need to learn, for it, uh, learn from it and then move forward. We can. And so what does is, what is moving forward look like? Moving forward in obedience, acting out of that faith and that belief. Um, I think, for one, it means that we move forward in a timely fashion. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, you know, God can tell you, hey, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what you're supposed to do. And we could say, that sounds great. In about 10 years, I'll do that. But first, I want to do some things over here. That's not what God's calling you to do. Just one example, if you go back to, to Abraham and being called to go take his son Isaac, it says the next morning he saddled up and went. Okay? He didn't wait around for a few weeks. He didn't call a committee meeting and decide if this is what he was supposed to do. He obeyed immediately. And we see that with Noah. Okay? We see that with so many people in that, in that Hebrews 11. They didn't question necessarily what they were supposed to do or when or wait around for a time period. They acted immediately. Okay? And so for some of us, we need to act immediately. If we feel like God is calling us to do something, there's no reason to wait. We don't have to understand everything, which we'll get to in a second. We need to act immediately. But for some of us, it may be that God is saying, hey, in the future, here's, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to be about. And if God hasn't said specifically, now's the time, then all I would say to you is, then follow Christ until it is the time. Dig in more than you've ever dug in before. Follow Jesus in a way you've never had before, and be prepared to obey when the call comes that now is the time. And so obedience is timely. I think it means also that we need to obey before understanding. And you go, well, that's pretty tough uh, because I need to understand what I'm supposed to do before I can obey. I don't think so. I think that we need to obey before understanding. I, I think it's part of our uh, being human. It's part of our culture that we want to ask why. We want to know every detail before we move forward, okay? Um, as a kid growing up, if my parents said, hey, I want you to do this or can you go do this, please, what did I want to respond with? Why? Because I wanted to know what their reasoning was for me going to do that. My kids are sitting here, and they ask the same question. I go, can you please go do this, or can you get this for me? Why? It, it doesn't matter why. I want you to just simply obey because I have a reason for it. You may not understand the reason now. I may not can even disclose the reason to you now, but just simply obey because I'm asking you to. 
And that's what we need to do when God calls us to do something, is simply obey, even if we don't understand every detail. But see, God, because he's going to reveal things to us as we need to. And as we start to take the first step in the action plan, he's going to reveal things. He's going to move in a way that the rest is revealed in its proper timing, in his timing, not ours. But our response is that we want to know why, how, what, timing, give me details, who's coming with me. It's not what God lays out for us. Um, And I think that if sometimes we knew all the details, I don't think we'd move forward because we may be scared of what we see coming ahead of us. Or if we knew all the details, um, that would take the faith and belief out of it, and God would get less glory. And, and, And God just wants us to be obedient before we understand. And what else does it mean? I think it means that we need to obey all the way. Um, I think we need to continue with that obedience and not just start with the obedience. And you go, well, what do you mean by that? Well, here's one example. Okay, well, you know, in the wilderness, Moses was instructed to strike a rock with his staff and get water out. Okay, and, and water came gushing from that. But then later again, the people needed water. And what did God say? Go speak to that rock. But what did Moses go and do? He hit the rock again. Okay, because he started in obedience and he was moving forward in a direction of where he thought God was wanting him to go. And I think oftentimes we do that. We, we move forward in God's will going, yeah, this is what he wants me to do. This is, I'm being obedient. And then once we get to a point where we think we understand, we go, okay, cool, God. Now I want to move on with what I want to do and do it the way that, and, and kind of finish it up my way. That's not what God's asking us to do. Okay, and so we need to continue on with the obedience all the way through. What about Peter? Peter sees Jesus walking toward him. They're on a boat. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out. And what does Jesus say? Come. Peter steps out. He doesn't delay. He he just steps out. And what's he doing? He's walking on water. And then what happens? Fear and doubt begin to creep in. He looks around at his surroundings. He sees the wind. He takes his eyes off the creator. And he starts to sink. And so if he'd continued in keeping his eyes on Jesus and being faithful in that and believing, he could have kept walking on the water. But instead, he began to sink because he took his eyes off the creator and didn't continue in the way Jesus had instructed him, which was just simply come. Now, so, okay, so we're obeying in, in, in a timely fashion. We're, we're doing it before we understand, and, and we're going to do it all the way. And we're going to continue in that obedience throughout the process. And those are some hard things. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Those are some hard things. Uh, and I think if we're all honest, and I, I'll be honest in that, there's been times in my life where maybe I have been obedient. But there's probably been more times than not where I've been disobedient. And I have failed in one or all of this or, or of these things. Um, and so I, I really believe this, though, that if we spend time with the Lord on a regular basis, if we continue to dig into his word, we get, continue to learn from scriptures we're instructed to do, that when the time comes, we'll be better prepared to obey. We'll be better prepared to hear his voice and be able to understand what it is we're to go and do and simply obey. And so you may be wondering, well, well how does that apply in, in this setting? What should I walk away with? Well, I know this is missions month and y'all are focusing on different things and I love that we were Skyping in people from Thailand, and um, I loved trying to explain that to my six-year-old daughter, that he wasn't anywhere around here. Um, And so I don't know about you, but I think that I would challenge you with this. And and I say this, I always say this, that 
three fingers are pointing back at me when I'm challenging you with this. Uh, but what is it that God's calling you to do? Where is it that the Lord is wanting you to obey? What areas are you lacking faith or belief in? And as a result, your obedience is being hindered. Okay? And I know it's missions month, and so is it local missions? Is it something here in this local community you're supposed to be doing? I don't know. Is it, is it something that you're supposed to do overseas? I have no idea. Maybe it is foreign missions. Maybe it's neither of those. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's something so small, but the Lord is asking you to obey. I don't know where you're at today. Uh, or maybe today you'd say that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so today I would say if you feel the Lord at work in you, place your faith in Christ. Be obedient in that. Um, but my last encouragement would be, and again I'm speaking to myself, let us not let unbelief or fear or anything else stand in our way of being obedient to what, the God, or what God is calling us to do. Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. Uh, we're thankful for how we can learn from it. We're thankful for how you speak to us through it. And Lord, I just pray that um, you would work in each of our lives, that you would help us to be obedient, help us to hear your voice, help us to believe you and take you on every word that you say, because it's true. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.